life is full of decisions, isn't it? Things that we have to decide about. And with some decisions that we make in life, it's a simple case of right and wrong, isn't it? So my neighbour is playing loud music at 3am. Should I murder my neighbour? The Bible's answer... No, thank you. Thanks, Margaret. You're with me. Okay. My, my, uh, my married friends asked me if uh, they should have an affair uh, with somebody who's, uh, who's married. And the Bible's answer is, no, that's right. We're almost here tonight. Sorry, my notes are for some reason not turning the right way up. Oh, there we go. But most of the, most of the questions that we have in life aren't are quite as clear cut, are they? They're not completely neutral either, but they're not quite as clear-cut as those other questions that we have. My friend has really upset me. Should I say something to them? There's a guy who's taking the mick out of me in the office. Should I think of some comeback, or should I just ignore them? I keep rowing with my girlfriend, but I really like her. Should I marry her? How do we deal with those sorts of questions? There's no morally right or wrong with those things. It's really to do with what the Bible calls wisdom. And that is what the book of Proverbs is all about. Wisdom has been variously described as skill in the art of godly living, knowing how to live well in God's world, re-establishing order in a messed up world, and navigating a broken world with God's help. And that's really what we have here in the book of Proverbs. Now for many years this was actually my favourite book of the Bible, uh, going back many years. And as a teenager, I actually read this book more than any other book of the Bible. And the first memory verse I was taught in my youth group was from the book of Proverbs. I'll share it with you later on. But Proverbs is about knowing how to deal with those bits in between. In between morality and triviality. The bits in between. Those questions aren't inconsequential, but nor are they quite as clear-cut as can be answered by commandments. So Proverbs doesn't present us with commandments, but with wise counsel. And it's up to us to listen to that counsel and make wise decisions. In the light of it, after all, we are called to live wisely. Most of the book was written by Solomon. There are others mentioned, but many think that they're simply nicknames, other nicknames for King Solomon. And the opening chapters frame the whole book as advice from a father to a son. The closing chapter is advice from a mother to a son. I thought it was quite strange actually having a son read out chapters about father to a son, but that's how it goes. But it gives it a personal feel. It's like an older person sharing what they've learned with a child. So what is it that they share with us? Well, first of all, the beginning of wisdom. One of the big things that Solomon wants to hammer home in this book is that God is the source of all wisdom. And that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. What he's saying really is if we get that foundation wrong, whatever else we do, we will not be wise. So Proverbs 9 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. If we miss God out of the equation, we will not be able to live well in God's world. We will not be able to navigate the world that he made. You see, the world has some very clever people in it, doesn't it? But very few wise people in the world. The wisdom of the world really is foolishness if it's not built on this solid foundation of the fear of God. God isn't mentioned explicitly in many of the Proverbs, but he underpins them all. It's he 
his world that they're written into. And if we don't have that reverent attitude towards him, whatever else we learn or know will turn out to be pointless. Because God is the God of order. That's one of the things that we see in the book. He's a God of order. The fact that we can find some order and some sense to our existence, that there are principles that apply, is evidence that there's something behind everything. Order does not come from chaos, does it? Even science tells us that. So when we don't have God as the foundation, we have no reason to expect order in the natural world or in the human world that the book of Proverbs speaks into. Under it all is our wonderful creator who has set the world this way for a reason. So Proverbs is not a self-help book, but there's trendy sort of uh, books that are out at the moment that are done like Proverbs. But Proverbs really is a book about God and his world. He underpins it all, and if we miss that, we miss the whole point. But what sort of wisdom does the book talk about? What sort of categories are we dealing with? Well, firstly, we have uh, things like wisdom in speech. Let me give you a sample. I'm going to give you a sample of a few of these. So Proverbs 12, verse 19. No need to turn to them because we're going to be all over the place. Proverbs 12, verse 19. If you want any of them afterwards, though, you can ask me. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Or Proverbs 12, 23. The prudent keep their knowledge to themselves, but a fool's heart blurts out folly. Words are a big deal in Proverbs. Because if you think about it, words are actually a big deal in life, aren't they? Because of words, wars have started, marriages have split, friendships have broken. There's lots of wisdom in the book about when to hold your tongue and when to speak. And those are the kind of things that I look back on life, or if only I'd said something, or if only I hadn't said something, things would have turned out so much better. It's very useful for that person who was wondering whether to speak to their friend who they'd upset. But Proverbs won't give you a yes or a no answer, but it will give you some helpful advice that will sort of frame the decision that you're making. So it speaks to us about wisdom in speech. It also speaks to us about wisdom in work. Let me give you a couple from there. Proverbs 10, verse 4. Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. Proverbs 12, 11. He who works his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. There's lots of helpful things in the book about how to work well and how to work smart. Famously, there are passages about ants and sort of looking to the natural world and seeing again that order in the world that shows us how we can work. There's wisdom as well in conflicts and disagreements. So Proverbs 12, 16. Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. Or Proverbs 17, verse 14. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam, so drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Often the disputing ones are linked with words, but again, that's how it works in real life, isn't it? But I can't help but wonder how many conflicts in churches, in friendships, in our lives, would have been avoided if we'd just taken a breath and had a look at the book of Proverbs first, or if we memorise some of them in our head, so that we could stop and think about what we're saying before we get into a fight or a conflict. Speaking of memorisation, it gives us a, a lot to say about wisdom in marriage. And now here's the first verse that uh, they got me to memorise in my youth group. This is a true story. I was taught it by one of the leaders in the youth group, who I believe to this day is still single. 
says this from verse 27. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. To restrain her is to restrain the wind, or to grasp oil with one's right hand. This might have something to say to the uh, person who's thinking about whether to marry someone who annoys them greatly. What he'd probably say in the book of Proverbs would be better to choose a wife like the one in Proverbs 31, the famous poem at the end that speaks of the godly wife. I can't prove it, but I reckon that it should be included under the heading of the whole chapter of sayings that his mother taught him. It makes it one of the few sections of the Bible that was actually sort of inspired by a woman in that case. If that's what we've got there, then actually Proverbs 31 is the mother's advice on what kind of woman her son should choose. And that, if you go back and read it again, it makes you read it in a slightly uh, different way. But there's wisdom about marriage in there. There's wisdom in parenting. So Proverbs 22, verse 6, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and even when he is old it will not depart from it. Or Proverbs 29, verse 15, The rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Believe it or not, of all the books, these are probably some of the most controversial proverbs that we've got. Partly because our society is not big on telling people how to raise their children. Partly because some of the proverbs seem to advocate corporal punishment. And partly because people are fond uh, to quote, uh, people are fond to quote that first proverb about raising up a child uh, to people whose children aren't believers. Well, let me just address some of those, because it's an important issue. First, the Bible does tell us how to raise our children. So if we take the Bible seriously, we should expect it to tell us to raise our children a bit differently from the world around us, in the knowledge and instruction of the Lord. And you expect people teaching the Bible then to talk about those things, that's just the way it is, that it's there in the Bible. Secondly, it does seem to suggest some forms of corporal punishment. But as we said, these here are principles, not commands. So I, I think if you check with my boys afterwards, they will confirm that I have never hit either of them with a rod, uh, that, even though that's exactly what it says, literally. I don't think I've ever hit anybody with a rod, uh, thinking back, but again, I don't, don't think anyone could contradict me on that. But even in the old world, I don't think it was advocating beating children. That's abuse, that's not parenting. But before we sort of get onto the whole sort of non-smacking thing, it's possible to verbally, verbally abuse children, belittling them and causing them far more damage in the long term than an attack on the knee. And that's not what's in mind here either. The point is that parents are to discipline their children. And these passages suggest doing it in a firm way. The exact means are up to each family to decide, but they are to do it. A parent's role is to discipline their children. And if they don't, the Proverbs would say that they're courting disaster for themselves and for their child. Lastly, as we said at the beginning, these are not commandments. It's not a simple matter of do this and this will happen. So if we're thinking about that thing about raising up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old he won't turn from it, well Solomon, who's writing that proverb, is a case in point, isn't he? He had David, King David, as his father. But look what happened to Solomon in his later life. He did turn from what he was taught as a child. What it's saying, though, is that children need to be trained for adulthood. We're not just to leave them to themselves. It's not making any comment on their faith as though if you bring them up right, they'll never walk away from their faith. As though their election by God was dependent on how good your parenting was. 
Sure, humanly speaking, if you're a bare-faced hypocrite, one thing at home and another thing at church, that isn't going to help them put their trust in Jesus. But God has saved people from far worse. There's no guarantee either way. They're not commandments. They're just telling you to raise your children rightly. And then lastly, there's tricky wisdom. There's some tricky wisdom that we find in the book of Proverbs. One of the best examples is bribes. So Proverbs 21, 14, a gift in secret averts anger, and a concealed bribe strong wrath. Proverbs 17, verse 8, a bribe is like a magic stone in the eyes of the one who gives it. Wherever he turns, he prospers. So it sounds like bribes are a good thing. Yet bribes are expressly forbidden in Exodus and Deuteronomy, and they're even disparaged in the book of Proverbs. So Proverbs 17, 23, the wicked accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the ways of justice. Or Proverbs 15, 27, whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his household, but he who hates bribes will live. It's not hard to spot though there that the bribes that they're talking about are different in the different Proverbs. The negative ones have to do with bribes, judges, witnesses, things to do with a court process. The other ones are using gifts to ingratiate people to you. So, for example, have you upset your wife? Maybe buying her some flowers might be a good idea. Are things tough in the office? Might be a good idea to bring in some muffins, sort of ease things over. Someone who does that kind of thing is wise. Are they bribes? Are you bribing your wife by buying her flowers? Not exactly, not really in the way that it's being described in Exodus and Deuteronomy. I think, again, it's down to wisdom, isn't it? It's how we treat people well. There are lots of other areas that we could deal with in the book. Accepting correction, uh, pride and humility, conflict and strife, generosity and greed, poverty and wealth. But we do only have 20 minutes, so we're not going to make all of those. But they're all there in the book of Proverbs. What Solomon would say, though, finally, is get wisdom. Get wisdom. Get it, find it, keep it. Whatever it costs, get it. So Proverbs chapter 4 verses 5 to 7. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. I think we get the point, don't we? He wants us to be wise. Yet that is one of the things that we really lack, isn't it? We're not wise naturally. We're not like God who is all wise. But thankfully, God grants wisdom. Solomon knew that personally, didn't he? He prayed for wisdom and God gave it to him. But that offer is open for us too. James 1 verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. In the New Testament, that wisdom is available to all in Christ, the ultimate wise man. Indeed, he is the one who the ancients saw as personified as wisdom in the book of Proverbs. God's word and God's wisdom, bringing order to chaos. What that means, though, is that as we think about those things which require wisdom, really we need to think about them through Christ, in the light of Christ. The gospel will have something to say about our speech our work, our conflicts, our marriages, our parenting. Like all the Old Testament books, we need to see them in the light of the coming of Christ, who is our wisdom. 
So let me give you a bit of helpful advice if you've got a lot of those decisions to make. If you've got a big decision to make, why not take the time to read through the book of Proverbs and see what it has to say about it? And then go through a book like Ephesians, which gives us a bigger picture of God's plan for the world. And pray that God will grant you wisdom, as he did to King Solomon in David's book of Proverbs. So let's pray for God's wisdom now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the book of Proverbs. Father, thank you that you haven't just left us in the dark, but Father, you've given us that godly advice about how to live rightly in your world, how to navigate our broken world. Father, we pray that you would grant us wisdom in all our decisions. Father, pray that we would act in line with what you have revealed. And most of all, Father, we pray that we'd act in line with the gospel that you have revealed through Christ our wisdom. And Father, pray that we would honour him in all that we do, with all the decisions that we make. In Jesus' name, Amen.